Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would join us in these moments. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you as we consider your word. Speak to us today, O God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A student went, young man, went to his spiritual teacher and asked him, Teacher, how do I find God? And the teacher said to him, said, Do you really want to find God? And he said, yes, I really want to with all my heart. And he said, then, then follow me. And he took him to a river outside the village and, and he waded into the river, to the middle of the river with the student. And he then said to him, immerse yourself in the water. And the student immersed himself underneath the water. And then something happened that the student didn't expect. The teacher put his hand on top of the student's head and held him underneath the water. And for a moment he thought, what's going on? And then he realized that he needed breath. And he began to struggle against his teacher's hold on him underneath the water. And he struggled and he pushed. And finally, when the student thought that he could no longer stand it anymore, the teacher laid him up out of the water and he gasped for air. His lungs were aching. The teacher waited a few moments and then said... When you desire God at the same level that you just desired breath, then you shall truly find God. As we look at these Beatitudes this morning, do you desire God? Do we desire God? And if you were to... Put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in your desire of God. Where would you put yourself? 7, 8, 9, 10? And, and then as you listen to today's sermon, think what it would look like to just move one number. To go from a 6 to a 7 or a 7 to an 8 or an 8 to a 9 or a 9 to a 10. What would you need to do in your life to develop your desire of God? What practices would you need to incorporate? What people would you need to take a second look at in terms of your relationship with them? Well, how would you consider your days in order to increase your desire of God? As we look at the Beatitudes, the first three Beatitudes... Um, Tell us that our need for depending completely on God, in order to do so, we have to empty ourselves. That's first step, emptying ourselves. First, empty our pride. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Second, empty our sin. Blessed are those who mourn, who don't just mourn over loss, but mourn and regret over actions that we have taken that, that are against our brothers and sisters or against God. Empty our need for control. 
Blessed are the meek. To turn ourselves wholly and completely over to God and God's control. Then Jesus says, now that you're empty, here's how the starving can be satisfied. Here's how to be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then he goes on to say, and blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now, actually, these two Beatitudes are connected. They are connected, and that's our focus today is to look at blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are those who show mercy, because what it is, it's a fully a love of God and a love of neighbor. I can hear the echo from Matthew telling the story in chapter 22 of Jesus being asked by one of the scribes, dear teacher, what is the greatest of the commandments? And when he asked that question, that was a discussion that took place often within the Hebrew community. What is the greatest commandment? Because when you look at the the Old Testament, there's something over 600 laws that are there. What are the greatest? Is it it the the length of one's fringe upon one's robe? Is it the the different kinds of food laws? Which, Which of the laws is the greatest, Jesus? And Jesus said... Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength is the first. And the second is like it to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. If we're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, it is a loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love neighbor as self is to show mercy without concern for ourselves. To show mercy to our brothers and sisters. Jesus continues the progress toward becoming a fully fully developing disciple of Jesus Christ. By sharing with us now, as we are empty, how do we fill the space? We fill it with love of God and love of neighbor. These are not just pithy proverbs that stand alone. But each one of them builds upon the other. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, true righteousness is a right and full relationship with God. A right and full relationship with God. Now, let, us kind of, let me kind of take a look at this and, 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 and so you can understand how I get to that point with hunger and thirst after righteousness and a full relationship with God. Because we often misunderstand what it means to be a Christian. And more what it means to understand the Bible. We see our work as a growing disciple as a moral and ethical imperative. In some ways it is. But it's so much more. The Greek word dikaisenin is a word translated righteousness. that's used throughout the New Testament. And we often think of it as doing the right thing. Doing, you know, righteous acts. But what it means actually is to be right with God in a relationship. To have a relationship with the divine. It literally means approval by God. Or to be loved and accepted by God. And so to hunger and thirst after righteousness 
is to be intently longing for a relationship with God. And if we see our relationship with Jesus as just an obligation, just doing the right thing, living a life of duty, we'll never really get the satisfaction of, of a relationship that we're being promised here by Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us just to live right. He desires a right relationship with us. A give and take. A communion. A connection. And once we know God is ready to accept us as we are and to love us and to forgive us as we are and to transform us from where we are, then the distance between us and God is replaced by intimacy, the estrangement by love, and the fear by grateful trust. We move from one place to another, closer and closer to our Lord. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger for that relationship with God that is intimate and full. For Jesus says they will be filled or they will be satisfied. Now, please remember that Christianity is not meant to be a religion. It's meant to be a relationship. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A relationship that is a two-way street, give and take. So as we hunger and thirst for God, so then we open ourselves to be filled. We open ourselves. We open the doors to the incoming of the Holy Spirit. We open the way for God to truly have a relationship with us. And the word there that is translated filled or satisfied is the word kortos. And it means more than just being filled. In fact, literally kortos means to gorge or to fatten. Kind of like Thanksgiving dinner. You know. Now, think of the implication here. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled will be gorged, will be fattened by the presence of God. I mean, think for a moment what, what Jesus is saying to his followers. He's saying, you know, in this case, being fattened by the presence of God is not a bad thing. That is to, that is to be expanded, that is to be multiplied by the presence of God. To receive... The living waters through Jesus Christ our Lord so that we will never thirst again. To receive the bread of life of Jesus' broken body that we will never be controlled by our hungers again. Jesus is saying if you want to be satisfied, if you want to be filled, then passionately, intently, above all else, hunger and thirst, long and seek for a relationship with God. And in essence, it is making Jesus a priority. And our relationship should be a growing one with Jesus, one that is multiplying and, and growing each day, week, year. And, and for example, you might want to use this, uh, this test and, and, and journal it out. Think back where you were five years ago. Were you in school? Where were you working? How old were your kids? Where did you live? What was your relationship with Jesus 
five years ago. Where is that relationship today? Has it grown? Is it better? Have you gone from a five to a six? From an eight to a nine? And then imagine where you could be next year or in another five years. To be constantly thinking about what does it mean to grow in Christ? And what would my life look like as I grow in Christ? Make Jesus a priority. And take a test. Continue to, in this reflection, to uh, examine the kinds of things that you read, what you watch on television. What does your checkbook tell you about your priorities and what's important in your life? What does your calendar tell you? Take a look and observe and, 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 and evaluate. What are the priorities? If people were to look at my life and to see down deep where no one else sees, would they see Jesus? Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Next comes, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Or, to love your neighbor as yourself. The word that Jesus uses is translated mercy as elios. And um, it's used throughout the New Testament. And what's interesting about this word is that it's most commonly used to describe God. Those who show mercy, elios... But it's used to describe God's mercy. The mercy that God gives to us. The forgiveness that God offers to us. In Ephesians 2.4 it says, God is said to be rich in mercy. Ilios. In Titus 3.5, we are saved by His mercy. In 1 Peter 1.3, in His great mercy, Ilios, has given us new birth into a living hope. The word itself means to wash over, to whitewash, to wipe out, to cancel a debt. It goes beyond sympathy and empathy to literally be love in action. Not just with our words and our feelings, but with the way we behave. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So what does it mean to be merciful? If I am merciful, what does that mean? Well, first, if I'm merciful, I'll be patient with the person who's different. Even obnoxious. Wait a minute, do I have to do that? (laughs) Do I have to do that? You know, one of the things that I've learned about working with people over the years is that typically, unless someone's a sociopath... If they're difficult, something else is going on in their life. There's a pain. There's a situation. There's a loss that, that is difficult for them. And it, and it shifts their behavior. And if we can but understand what it is that makes people tick, it's a whole lot easier to show them mercy. When I was working with a group up in Oklahoma City a few years ago, 
uh, one of the geologists up there who was the head of geology for this company said, I want to, I'm going to have to fire my uh, lead geologist. And I said, okay. He said, well, it was a coaching session. He says, what do I need to do first? And I said, well, first you need to find out what's really going on with the guy. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, he said, you said he'd been working for the company for 10 years. Has he been a good employee? And he said, oh, yeah, he's always been one of the best geologists. But over the last six months, he's been terrible. I said, well, what's going on in his life? He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, do you ever spend any time with him? Yeah, we go out to the wells um, at least once or twice a month, and we'll be in the car for two hours. I said, what are you talking about? Well, we talk about baseball. We talk about the Cowboys. We talk about this and that. Nothing of real consequence. I said, next time you're with him, and I'll be back in a month, and we'll talk again, share some of your own life and see if he won't share his. A month later, I come back in, and uh, I said, well, have you decided the first step that you're going to take in firing this geologist? And he says, I'm not going to fire him. I said, you're not? I said, what changed your opinion? He said, oh, my goodness. He said, he just poured out what was going on in his life. He just went through a divorce. Neither of his daughters are speaking to him. And it's just, he lost his house. He says, it's just absolutely incredible what this guy has been through. I want to help him. Totally changed his perspective. And he understood him. And he wanted to show him mercy. Second, If we're merciful, we'll forgive those who have fallen. That's the question. If someone makes a mistake, do I rub it in or rub it out? Forgiveness is a two-edged sword. Um, When we receive forgiveness, it's a wonderful thing. You know, Uh, and and I was having this conversation with someone uh, just a few months ago about receiving God's forgiveness and on a particular thing that had gone wrong in their life, and I compared it to someone else that they knew of, and I said, do you think God could forgive them? And he said, well, maybe God can, but I can't. And I said, it's exactly the same situation. It's easy for us to receive mercy, but to offer mercy is sometimes difficult. Third, If I am merciful, I'm helping those who are hurting. Mercy is practical assistance, love and action. I like John Wesley's motto, the founder of the Methodist movement in the 18th century. Do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as you can. And finally, most troubling is if I am merciful... I will do good to my enemies. Now, I I know you hear that in the church all the time. Love your enemies. Do good to your enemies. But do we really believe that? I mean, society says, uh, don't, (laughs) you know, don't, uh, you know, don't get mad, get even. Society says, you know, if people hurt you, hurt them back. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Jesus says to love our enemies. The tangible mark of spiritual maturity is when we do good and offer mercy to our enemies. And I think here's the secret. Mercy is an action, not a reaction. 
if, if we see mercy as that of which we react to a certain situation and we wait until there is a, an emotion driving our, our mercy, then we will, be, we will be controlled by our emotions. And we may or may not offer mercy, depending on our emotions. But if we see mercy as something as proactive and not as something that is driven by me and what I'm feeling, but rather by the need of a particular person in a situation, it is an action, not a reaction. And if we practice that like exercising a muscle, it gets stronger and stronger. And finally, mercy becomes second nature. Blessed are the merciful. And then Jesus says, for they will receive mercy. Now, we, actually, there are a couple of places in the New Testament where this whole uh, question of, you know, forgive and you shall be forgiven. And, 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 it, and I think the misunderstanding of it has is that there's this formula for forgiveness and mercy that only when we give mercy shall we receive mercy. And if we don't show mercy or forgiveness, that God's going to cut us off. Right? No. As, as I read the letters of Paul and, and come to understand what Paul is trying to get us to do in terms of our spiritual growth, what happens when we refuse to give mercy or forgiveness is that we cut ourselves off from God's mercy. God can't reach us. God is offering us mercy, but we've cut it off. But when we give mercy, and the more we practice mercy, the more we open ourselves to receive mercy and to experience it. Robert Schuller, in a book about mercy and grace and forgiveness, says, So as we show mercy, our hearts are open to receive mercy. And he tells this story. He tells a story about Bernice Shug. Uh, he met Bernice when she was down on her luck. Her husband had passed away. She was having some financial troubles. And so uh, Dr. Schuler and his wife hired her to be a housekeeper. And they paid her a whole lot more than what you would usually pay a housekeeper because they really wanted to help her as much as provide a job for her. And they developed this relationship where Bernice would... You know, not only take care of the house, but she would offer to do other things, you know, from, you know, from running errands to cooking muffins for them. And they became very, very close. But one day, Schuler says that he got a call from Bernice. And she said, Dr. Schuler, I noticed in the church bulletin that an older gentleman that flew for the Japanese Air Force back during World War II, he was a kamikaze pilot, is going to be speaking in our church. And Schuler said, yes, that's correct. He's got a wonderful story of how he, uh, after the war, he experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and how he moved from one emperor-based religion to believing in, in Jesus Christ and the love of God and how it changed his life and he received forgiveness for some of the atrocities that he had performed during the war. And she said, well, it matters not to me whether he has made peace with his God because my son was killed by a kamikaze pilot during World War II. And I just cannot stomach anyone 
like that. And Dr. Schuler was very loving. He said, well, it'd be okay if you miss that Sunday, if it's going to be difficult for you. And maybe a little later on, we can talk about it. And they talked a little more, and the phone conversation ended. The next Sunday, the Japanese um, airman, older gentleman, no longer a part of the Air Force for Japan, he got up and spoke and talked about, not so much about his life as a pilot, but what had happened in his life with, the, with, with coming to know Jesus Christ and, and what the forgiveness of Jesus Christ had opened to his life and how he related to people and what he, what he was able to, to do that he'd never been able to do or feel before in his life. Incredible story, emotional story. Following, Dr. Schuler was leading him out of the sanctuary, or the, yeah, the sanctuary And as they approached the back, a lady stepped out into the aisle and planted her feet, blocking their way. Shula kind of took a step forward as if to say, you know, (laughs) we need to get by you. And she refused to move. And she announced, my son was killed by a kamikaze pilot. And the whole congregation went silent. It was Bernice. But she didn't stop there. She said, I have seen and heard today how God has forgiven you your sins. And for the first time in 40 years, I've allowed him to forgive mine. Will you forgive my hatred for your people? With tears in his eyes, the older gentleman said, Will you forgive me for what my people did to you? And they threw their arms around each other, crying, weeping, offering forgiveness to each other. Tears of joy and release. Only when we empty ourselves can we take the hard steps. Only when we empty ourselves of, 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 of who we are, what we need, our control, can we then fill ourselves with the presence of Almighty God. And so I encourage you, I invite you to take the hard steps this morning. To begin to think about how can I move from a seven to an eight. Offer it all to God right now. No matter what it is, dump it right here before Jesus. God can handle anything that you have. And then, let us receive the gift of our Father in heaven. The gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gift of a full life. Full of mercy. Will you go from this place to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as self. Will you so desire God like that young man longed for breath? For only when we desire God like the drowning student can we truly find God. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. 
For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.